Is this okay? Doesn't sound echoey? Does, okay, must just be me. Fine, no problem. Alright. It sounds okay. Doesn't sound tinny. Okay. Alright. Yeah, come down the front. Come on, don't leave an empty front seat. It's not fair on the preacher. No? Yeah, great. All right. Our aim at Revelation Church is to really to build a city within a city. That's our aim. So we're looking to create a community that lives very differently from the community that it's surrounded by and yet is fully immersed in that community. It's very important you understand that. So we're looking to create a community that, is, that takes the Bible seriously, doesn't just kind of throw, oh, I like that, I'll have that, I don't like that, won't, you know, but looks to just act with integrity on God's word, believes this is inspired, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't just some nice little thoughts which if they fit well, you know, have, take them on board, if they don't, then just leave them to one side, but no, this is the word of God, we don't judge it, it judges us. Um, God says that, you know, that he lives in a high and lofty place, but he dwells with those who... Um, who are humble and contrite and who tremble at his word. So, the, so we're looking to develop a community of people that genuinely tremble at his word and have a sense of reverence before God, that, that love him, that love one another, that, that genuinely build relationships with each other. We don't just, we're not just on a kind of a little religious kind of thing together, but we love each other, we know each other, we hang out together. We, there's genuine community there, um, that we serve one another, that we're not just coming to consume. We live in a consumerist society, and I think it's easy to say, I'm coming to the church, how can the church serve me? No, 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 I'm coming to serve the church, because this is the thing that God is doing. Jesus is building his church, I'm coming to build into that. I'm laying aside my own agendas, my own little plot, I'm buying into the main story, I'm buying into his story, I'm buying into what God is doing, which is advancing his kingdom building a church so so we're looking to that's what we're looking we're going going somewhere together loving each other on the way but the whole time being completely connected into the world so in the world so so um totally engaged in our communities engaged in the workplace and meaningfully involved not living in a bubble a kind of holiness bubble you know where we never go outside and we just go to meetings but we're totally engaged and connected in the world because we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world and if we're constantly just in a bubble, we're never going to actually have the impact that we're supposed to have. But if we're looking to have a genuine impact as a city, in a city, then we must face some of the most controversial issues that our society is facing. We mustn't sidestep them. If we sidestep them, we're being cowardly. And so that's why in February, um, well, we've got a guest speaker next week, but then after that we're going to look, on um, February the 10th, we're going to look at um, sexual morality, sexual immorality. Is it wrong to have a sexual relationship outside of marriage? If so, why? Does it stand up in today's society? Does it hold true or is it just some kind of thing that's outmoded and the Christians are still trying to cling on to? What does the Bible teach? Is it relevant? On the 17th, we're going to look at homosexuality. Huge deal in our society now. You know, I mean, just a, a massive, massive thing whereby it was seen, I guess, even as short time as 50 years ago would have been something that was a marginal issue, no longer marginal at all. As a church, we need to know how can we handle this whole subject with grace and truth. On February the 24th, we're going to look at abortion. How do we, how do we, you know, you read in the papers about these kind of crazy Christians blowing up abortion doctors and others saying, what's the big deal with, 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 with abortion? And, and somehow, what, how do we find a way through in terms of handling this stuff in grace and truth? 
and not throwing out the grace and not throwing out the truth, but bringing these things together. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go for these during February. I would appreciate your prayers over that month, genuinely, because there's, there's an awareness of spiritual warfare in it all, and it's, you know, you think, man, this is, you know, stuff's going to be on the internet, you're going public with this stuff, it's, it's going to be countercultural. Um, but the, for the last um, three weeks, we've been looking at this whole subject of um, mighty women of God, because we're a church that believes that the, the Bible teaches that men and women are uh, similar in the sense, that, uh, definitely equal, definitely similar in the sense, both reflect the image of God. Genesis is clear on that, and yet different, complementary. They're not, they're not the same. There are clear differences between male and female, and that, it's not enough to simply say that. You need to then work out what does that mean? What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? And um, a Revelation church, our stance is that a woman in terms of ministry can do anything in the church that a guy who is not an elder can do. That's our stance. And so, and, so that we would, and so we would say that the, the elder is to, is to be governmentally responsible for leading the church. And that would be the, uh, one primary way of expressing that would be preaching to the gathered congregation. And that's an eldership role. But other things, any other ministry or role in the church is open to men and women. But even that it could, be, could be seen potentially as restrictive and kind of sexist and prejudiced. And so, and so, uh, but, but what I've found is, is often that the women that are sympathetic to that view and say, no, I like that, sometimes can just, out of not, out of not wanting to be inappropriate, just kind of back off and go passive and don't use their gifts. And so we're saying, no, look, we're going to do three weeks on this just to say, women, come on, be all that God's made you to be, move in your gifts, don't be timid, don't be passive, go for it. You're totally for it. You're totally totally released to be totally leaving the women having a preaching gift and preaching all that sort of stuff gift and preaching all that sort of stuff okay but what I would say is, is that to preach to the gathered congregation is what I would describe authoritative teaching and in Timothy the Apostle Paul writing under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit says I do not permit that and so we say well we respect that the context is not, context is not cultural it's creational so we say, well, we, we tremble with that. We take that reverently and we say we need to work that out in 21st century London. And so we're looking to just affirm our women. We've looked at, we've looked at um, Sarah being faithful and fearless, how they are to be characteristics of a godly woman, that she is fearless, walking free from the government of fear, stepping into all that God's got, full of faith, a hero of faith, pressing in as Sarah was, partnering with Abraham, all that sort of thing. And last week we looked at Anna. The prophetess, a woman who was flowing in the spiritual gifts God had given her, looking to encourage that in the women. But also, she was a single woman in the sense she was a widow, been a widow for about 70 years, um, and didn't let her marital state um, affect in terms of her effectiveness for God. Looked at the whole, the glory in one sense of the single life, but also the blessings and the glory of a married life, and looking at holding those two things together. And so here we come today to um, this issue, uh, to this, to our final week on this subject, and we're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, we're going we're gonna to look at when the angel Gabriel came and um, announced, really, that she was going to carry God <laughs> around in her womb for nine months. Pretty significant stuff. So, Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, our favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Good question. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I thought when I was going to be preaching on Mary that I was going to preach the classic Mary sermon. Here's the classic Mary sermon. What a woman. She says to the angel, let it be done according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. When she knows it's probably going to cost her her marriage, that her fiancé is going to suspect her of being adulterous. She's pretty sure that's what's going to happen. We see that that almost happens. Joseph's plan is put her aside. And then an angel appears and says, no, it's okay. She's not lying. It really is. She really is a virgin that's pregnant. So, you know, but she's aware it's probably going to cost her her marriage. It's probably going to cost her her standing in the community. Huge disgrace in those days to be married out of wedlock. It's probably going to cost her that. She was always going to be known as as the mother of that child, you know, um, the illegitimate child. That would have been a huge thing. Huge, huge cost. Um, And yet she says, okay. And I, I mean, I think you could preach probably many sermons on that, that sense of trusting God and throwing yourselves into the arms of God for that. But I, um, that's what I thought it would be, but it's not going to be that. I'm sorry if that sounds like a great sermon, but it's not going to be that. I felt God speak to me something completely different, and it's not necessarily going to be unpacking the, uh, the, the text. Um, I normally would do that, but that's not how I felt led by the Holy Spirit. I felt that the Lord simply highlighted this to me, that... The role, the role that Mary played was a role that only a woman could play. God couldn't have chosen a man for this task, could he? No, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I'm thinking, it's not a trick question, guys. You, yeah, you can say no. One of those trick questions that you don't want to say in case you get it wrong. He really couldn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's one of those roles you think that's for women. Um, that's a woman's role, being pregnant. Right? And... Uh, and it just got me thinking, actually, what other things are uniquely for women? What other things? I'm going to preach on some things today, four things they are going to be countercultural. Some of you are going to struggle with what I say. I would simply ask you to process it, think it through. Um, some of you may be convicted by what I say, in the sense you just realise, I believe this is right, this is God speaking, and yet I've had a different attitude. I want to assure you this is not coming with a judgmental spirit. Um, you know, God is a God of restoration. When he convicts us, it's so that we can repent and we can change. Some of you may not feel convicted, you may just feel, I don't like, the, I don't like this man, I don't know what he's saying. Okay, that's fine. All I would ask you is to process it, go back and process it in the light of, is this from the word of God, or is it just silly ideas? So, I guess really I'm also going to be critiquing 21st century London culture a bit as I do this, and just holding it up and saying, Does it, is, is this a good thing that's going on? Um, for some of you, some of the points may not seem immediately relevant in terms of your season of life, but I would ask you if you could put it anyway in your arsenal and hopefully it will, it will help you in the future. You'll have something to bring out in the future at uh, a different season. So don't just despise it because it's not relevant for me at the moment. Have a long view of your life, not just a today view. Um, all right, number one. <laughs> You'll think, what's he going to say? <laughs> 
wearing dresses. No. <laughs> number one. Number one. <laughs> number one. Um, being feminine. This is uniquely for women, although you wouldn't necessarily know it today when you walk down the high street. It seems that a lot of guys find it safer to act feminine. They find it safer. It's, it, it, well, it's not really feminine, it's effeminate. It's a different... Feminine is good, effeminate is bad, because effeminate is someone who should be masculine acting as if they are a woman. So that's not a good thing. So only women are called to be feminine. Some guys, just to be honest, from a guy's perspective, I think getting into the heads of guys, they find it safer to act effeminate. It's actually quite a scary thing in our day and age to act masculine. You feel like you're going to get shot down in flames. You feel like everyone's going to be on your case. You feel like you're going to be, um, you're going to be accused, perhaps, of, 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 of being some kind of domineering thing. Not that masculine and macho are the same at all, but there's just this sense in the mind, what, what are we allowed to be anymore? Are we going to get in, hit in the neck for it? Now, what is femininity? It's very, very subtle. It's a subtle thing. But I feel we've got to try and nail it. Otherwise, I'm just, there's no compass. What, what, how, how, does it, how does it work? I don't think we can deny for a minute that some girls are naturally just more girly girls than others. Some girls don't mind breaking their nails. Others, it's a big deal. Yeah? No, I don't think there's any drama there. There's no moral thing there. It's just, we're, all, we're all different. So within this whole thing, there is a spectrum. So please bear that in mind. But what I would say is this, help, maybe I'll, I'll look at masculinity as well, just to help us to hold up the two against each other. Okay, follow me here. Men and women are called to reflect the image of God together, yes? Genesis 1, 26, 27, made in God's image to male and female who created them. Now, God is gentle, God is strong, yes? Agree with that? Okay, so God is gentle, God is strong. So, males, those that are masculine, should reflect gentleness and strength, yes? Because they're made in God's image. Women should reflect, should reflect gentleness and strength because they're made in God's image, yeah? Okay? But let me just phrase it like this. I believe that masculinity is strong but gentle. I believe femininity is gentle but strong. Now, I've used the same words there, same descriptive words, but the way I've put the emphasis, okay, has, has, has put a different spin on the two things. I think that that is... Um, because if you, if you, theologically, I think that stands up, we're called to reflect God's image together. There may be certain things where we definitely reflect more, so I think God has a maternal side. That's biblical. Open your mouths and I will fill it as if the mother of a burst. I long to take you under my wings like a mother hen. There's a maternal side to, to God, although he's not our heavenly mother. Okay? He, he's revealed himself as our heavenly father. But there's a maternal side to his nature, which, the, which women obviously reflect better than men. And there's a paternal side, obviously, a heavenly father that guys reflect better. But this is one thing I think as well. There's, there is this element where it just comes more natural to, to guys to wrestle and that sort of thing. It's just, it's just the way it goes. I'm not saying it's a key part of masculinity. I'm just making observations here. That kind of, guys just get more, there's something more about that than women. And women, generally speaking, would rather go to a sewing class. Generally speaking, I'm not saying all women should sew, all right? This isn't, I'm just observing now. I'm saying there are, there are these things which are, which are, I think, inherently different, all right? I'm not saying sewing is inherent to being feminine. Please don't hear what I'm not saying here. But I'm saying there's the gentleness and the strength here. I'm trying to illustrate it. I know I'm in a minefield. I know it. But I'm going to keep going. Um, but I, would, I, I think that's a helpful way of looking at it because it means that we've, we're not caricaturing, saying, guys, you're the strong ones, and just be really harsh and abrasive. That's fine. No, not at all. You're to be gentle because God is gentle.
Yeah? And women, you're, gen- you're gentle and you know, just break down every five minutes crying. You can't handle life. No, nonsense. Okay? You've got to be gentle but strong. Yeah? But there's, there's, there's the tenderness thing which I believe comes through in the woman more effectively and the strength which comes through in the guys or the however you want to put it. So there we go. That's where we're going. <laughs> so how women, do you ex- how women should you express your femininity? Number one, do not try to be manly. Don't try and be manly. Don't try and prove your equality with guys. Now, some of you may have been mistreated in the workplace or just overlooked because you're a woman and, and there can be an attempt to really try and, I'm going to demonstrate that I'm, I'm equal, you know, and that kind of thing. Or, or even by parents, it could be in the sense of, you know, your mum and dad, you, you weren't a boy. So, you know, some, some, some parents, well, they wanted a boy and you just, you live with that sense of I'm not quite what I ought to be because of that. So sometimes due to abuse or mistreatment, Women can just find, man, I just need to show that somehow I'm up to it. I'm up to scratch. I'm on a par with the guys. But I would say that that, 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 that is, a, that is um, understandable and I sympathise with that response, but it won't produce what you're looking for, which is that sense of security in who you are. It doesn't come that way. And actually it's an unattractive thing just to have the kind of, a, kind of that pushy, trying to, trying to sort of demonstrate that you're, no, you don't need to do that. The Bible says that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. You are who you are. Okay, you're not an accident. It's not a mistake that you're not a guy or in any way. Okay, even if someone has said that to you or that has been communicated, God loves you for who you are. Okay, you need to be. So it's about being secure internally in the fact that God has made you a woman, and that's a good thing. Secondly, enjoy the fact that you are the fairer sex. It's all right to be beautiful. Now, the Bible focuses on internal beauty before external beauty. Absolutely. So that should be your focus to develop inner beauty. In terms, of your, um, uh, in terms of your godly character, absolutely. But there's nothing wrong with external beauty. And I think sometimes, um, due to perhaps heavy preaching and kind of legalism in terms of women shouldn't wear lipstick and this kind of thing, some women have just felt, man alive, I just need to kind of make myself as plain as possible. I, I don't think you find it in the Bible. I don't think you see that. I think, no, God has made women beautiful and it's okay. Yeah? So just enjoy the fact that God has made you the fair sex. Cultivate a quiet and gentle spirit. The Bible holds that up as a good, a good as, as feminine. That's a, specifically to women, it says cultivate a quiet and gentle spirit. Now that is different from having a quiet and gentle personality. Or it's quiet. Some are louder than others, that's fine. But what is a quiet and gentle spirit about? It's about being secure in Christ. It's about not having to kind of prove that you're this or you're that. Yeah, you just know, I'm, I know who I'm in God. I'm at peace with that. I know who he's made me. And it just is a peacefulness about it which just comes out. So you don't have to grasp or gossip or bitch or backbite or push or prove your worth. These things, no, you don't have to do that because God is major. Yeah? It's major as you are and he loves you as you are. Let yourself be wooed by the love of Christ. Let yourself be just drawn into his love and his affections and know you are utterly honoured for who you are. So number one, being feminine. Number two, and I'm going to get blasted on this one, but blow it. (laughs) Being a homemaker. Now, this depends on the season of life that you are in. But I think without a shadow of a doubt, a woman is uniquely positioned to create a home out of a house where a guy isn't. I think it's just... Now, I could use my example, but you could then just say, well, that's just you. Fair enough, but it's funny anyway, so I'll tell you. (laughs) When I first got a flat, I was a single guy. The elders of my church had to sit me down and give me a talking to. They said, this place is not to be like a squat. Sit me down. You're not to just have a mattress in the corner. I was like, okay, all right, fine. 
Because that's me. I, I'm, you know, it's kind of, that's, that's kind of how I think. No big deal. Now, not all guys are like that. I am very, very aware of that. But let me tell you something. When I got married, the place... I remember before I got married, some of the youth group around my flat, they were praying for me. And one of the girls, she was just like praying, Lord, I just pray you bless Steph, even though he's in this really dingy flat. And <laughs> thinking, it was great. And uh, Davina, Davina, Davina uh, we got married. And she joined. She obviously moved, moved into the flat. And that little did I know, as soon as she was in, probably even before she was married, she had this plan. And one night I went out and I came back in and just uh, I had this lovely brown and beige wipeable wall stuff on the kitchen wall. It was fantastic. The whole kitchen I thought it was great. You could wipe in everything. Came in and it was just off, <laughs> all over the floor. But I thought I didn't. I don't know about this, you know. But she had different plans. I went like this, and she turned the place into a home. I wondered why no one liked coming round before we were married. Then I realised why. She turned it into a home. And a woman. Now let me just again imagine a scenario where a guy and a girl get get married because I think these things come through. And typically, I think this is how guys think, typically this is how women think. Typically, a guy thinks this, great, let's imagine they're getting married, they're moving somewhere else. Great, we're getting married, we're going to be able to do this, that, and the other for God. We're on a mission. Oh, yeah, it's great that we've got a base. Okay, that's how they think. And the woman's thinking, generally speaking, right, we're going to make this into a wonderful, welcoming home. We're going to make it warm. We're going to get some things, there's some bright stuff there, so that when we're on a mission for God, people can come in and know the love of God. You understand what I'm saying there? So they're both on mission. Yeah, it's not so he's on the mission, she's on there, you know, just sort of baking. They're both on mission, they're both going for God, but it's a different why, it's a different thing going on there. I believe that's something to be, that's a good thing. If you, read, you can read about this in 1 Timothy and in Titus, talks about women just doing good things in the home. It's a good thing. It's a, now, I, I want to say that this isn't to be looked down on, this role, it's to be esteemed. And I want to just cane a few things here, because I, I, there's kind of a godly anger in me on some of this stuff. Because I think uh, the last generation of women have been conditioned to despise this role. Conditioned to see it as unworthy, phrases like chain to the kitchen sink and whatever, caricatures, nonsense, that's not what I'm talking about. But these things have just despised this whole thing and it's seen as an unworthy role. But let me just, let me just let's look at the fruit of this, shall we, for just a moment. Because the fruit of it, you see multitudes and multitudes of school kids on their way home having chicken and chips for dinner every day. You see them, chicken and chips for dinner every day. They get home, no one's there to give them a welcome. No one's there with open arms. And then they are, they are vulnerable and prey to hours of MTV, internet porn and sick video games. And we wonder why the young people are going crazy. There's been no one there to as they've come and said, hey, welcome, come in. Warmth, because that role is despised. I think, what are we doing? What are, we, are we serving the up and coming generation? Are we? No, we're not. And then we moan when they're lawless. We might, we start tooting and say, oh dear, what? well come on. We need to be, we, we, we need to be so, we, we're conditioned to be so me, here and now, this is what matters, when God's, God is always looking, all the time, I bless you, pass it on to the next generation, speak the story, disciple them. I heard Bill Wilson, who runs a kids club for 20,000 kids in New York, he said this, he said, you don't raise kids, you train kids, you raise pigs. You train kids, you teach them. That takes time, attention, focus. We're looking to create a city that is not just going to be here for five years, we're looking to go long-term, aren't we? And leave a legacy and raise a whole generation of people from all kinds of different homes and backgrounds that honour the place of the home. And I think that I want to say our women has a unique role to play in that. Am I against women working? Not at all. My wife is a successful secondary school teacher. Not at all. I'm not, I've not got issues, I'm not trying to get back to armies, do you know what I mean, beards and no moustache and buttons and no zips, I'm not, but I think it's a unique thing on women in this role, and if we despise it, we miss something of the design of God. Thirdly, 
Asserting that unique for a woman is being a wife. Guys aren't very good at that. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying... That we've, it would be so good if you listened to the last two weeks, because I think this helps to balance out. Since I, extolled, I extolled that the season of singleness, whether it lasts two years or 80 years last week. So I'm not caricaturing here. But I think I am on good ground when I say only a woman can be a wife. Uh, <laughs> a woman is uniquely positioned to be able to support and love her husband. Now, I would say it is healthy for guys to have relationships with other guys where you're sharpening each other, you're shooting from the shoulder, you know, you're accountable. You, I love that. I've got, you know, we, I, there's a lot of that that goes on in the church. Guys meeting up early mornings and other times to sharpen each other, to ask difficult questions, to get under our skin, to really provoke us in terms of not being passive, not being lazy, not being compromised, but just pushing on with God and going for it. I think that's a great thing, and I think it's great for guys and women to have that sharpening. But I would say that the, the support that a wife can bring to her husband is utterly unique. Utterly, utterly unique. Because he, he lives in this frightening realm of being responsible before God for his wife and one day's children. It's a, it's, it's, the accountability of that is actually a fearful thing. He, that's where he lives. And actually to have a wife at his side that is saying, I'm with you, I'm fighting with you, I'm supporting you, I want to release you into all you, I'm affirming you, is a hugely strengthening thing. It's an amazing thing. It's, 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 it's glorious. It's mysterious. And as soon as you get rid of these dynamics and you shuffle this all around and do it your own way, you miss the glory. You miss the mystery on it. It doesn't work. This is God's way. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7, it says that the woman is the glory of the man. What does this mean? It means that what there is of God in him, what there is of the majesty of God in him, what there is in terms of the authority of God in him that he's been entrusted with, she's to receive from that. She's to benefit from that and then reveal it and then radiate that out. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's like she benefits from the, the godly calling on him to, 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 to stand up and take his role in terms of godly authority, not domineering, chauvinism, as out the window. We're talking sacrificial leadership. We're talking about like Christ loved his church. As he steps up to that, that she benefits from that. She draws strength from him. She draws strength into her own spirit from that. And then through her feminine life, she communicates that, radiates that back out to God in worship, to her husband in love, and to others around her. That's the, that's the picture. That's, how we, that's what that means when it says the woman is the glory of man. So in the home, the husband is providing godly authority. He's providing protection for her. And that is soil for her to grow in. That is soil for her to, be, to flourish and to come into all that God has for her. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. She receives it and radiates it back. It's affirming. It's releasing. It's a releasing thing. It's a, it's a, just, just as the, uh, the, the husband who doesn't fulfill his role, creates this vacuum for his wife where it's just, you know, she has to stay, she has to, she can do it, she's, it's nothing to do with gifting, she's often very much more able than the husband, it's not about gifting, it's about God's order, but when the husband doesn't take his place as tough as it is for the woman, likewise, when the woman is just, she's, she's not going for her husband and giving and saying, I'm with you, I trust you, I'm with you all the way, come on, go for it, if she's not doing that, I tell you, the, 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 God, the things the husband has to work through in terms of just, it just makes it much harder. It's a glorious thing being a wife. And finally, being a mother. Final thing, being a mother. Only a woman can be a mother. Yeah? 
I want to talk about this because I think this is absolutely glorious. What a mystery. To carry a human being in your own body for nine months and sustain that child completely through yourself. I mean, what a mystery. It's just, some, we mustn't take these things for granted. It's glorious. And then not only that, then once the baby's born, if she chooses to go down that road, to nourish and to strengthen that child for the next approximately six months entirely from her own body again. To see a child, I mean, our children, they, 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 they're generally born fairly scrawny. <laughs> I think most babies are. Within six weeks, you know, they've got the forearms of Popeye. I think, what the heck have, have they been eating? Milk. I think, what? You know, mixed with protein? No, no, just straight from the breast. I think, this is, this is amazing. And to see them grow and develop, and after six months, they're, ready, they're sitting in their high chair, they're ready to eat. You think, all from the mother. It's a glorious glorious thing. Think, wow, look what God has done. But that's just the beginning. Then you have that maternal bond between mother and children, which is unique. Isn't it unique? The bond between the mother and a child. It's a, it, I mean, so is the father bond, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about being a mother. It's an absolutely unique thing. I believe that the, 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 uh, part of the mother's role is to express the tenderness and the mercy of Christ to her children in a unique way. Now, I, I look to be tender and merciful with my children, absolutely. But I think there's something different about the mum the doing it. It's like, ah, oh, mummy's doing it. You know? If they want to wrestle, they know where to come. If they want to be thrown around the room, they know where to come. Yeah? I'll do that and I'll do it well. But it's something about... <laughs> But when they fall over, I'll do my best. But it's probably mummy's arms they want to be. There's something about it. It's that maternal thing. And yet for many in our society, motherhood now is viewed as little more than a blip on the growth curve of your career. And I just think, man, where have we got to? Just to view motherhood as little more than just a blip on the growth curve of your career. I think, man, we have lost the plot. To become pregnant is a joy at the, right, at the right moment, as long as it's when I planned it, but to become pregnant any other time, oh, that's inconvenient. You think, God, what are we thinking? What are we doing? What are we doing? You find women having sometimes just terminating because it doesn't fit, the timing's wrong. You think, no, no. What, what are we thinking? What are we getting into here? The fruit of this is just this, well, I don't know how many abortions, but also, the mad, the mad young people around. Mad. A lot of that is to do with absent fathers. A lot of that. A lot of it. A lot of it is to do with the fact that as a nation we've turned our back on God. But a lot of it as well is obviously the, mother's, the role of the mother being despised. And I would say this, unless it's impossible for financial reasons, unless it's impossible, mums or mums to be or mums one day, be at home with your kids in those preschool years. Now, sometimes it's impossible. I'm aware of that. I'm not being, but if you can, be there. You can't recapture that. You can't recapture that again. Don't despise that. Don't see that as an inconvenience. It's a glorious, glorious calling. If your career suffers, so be it. So be it. Pay the price. Pay the, it's worth it. Everything that is eternally worthwhile involves sacrifice. And this is an eternally worthwhile thing. Have you, do, you know, do you know about how octopuses... Mate, it's a great thing. Anyone know? I'll tell you. The male octopus has one tentacle that is special. And in his eye, in his eye socket, he has a capsule of seeds. 
And what he does is, when he's, when he's feeling a bit frisky, <laughs> he finds a female octopus, and with that special tentacle, he will, he will um, come his eye socket, pick out the capsule of seeds, and will place it in the um, eye socket of the female octopus. She will then find a cave. And what she will do is, she will then take from her eye socket um, a ca- uh, eggs, and she will hang them around the cave. Okay. Then what she will do is she will take out the capsule of seed that she's got from the male and she'll break it. And then that octopus seed then swims to the eggs that are hanging up in this chamber and they, con- and they obviously the, the, the babies are conceived. She then spends the next, I don't know how long the gestation period is, a few months I think, she, sends, she then spends the rest of the time in that cave gently they have, the, they have the ability to be able to uh, blow in terms of certain things of their, um, their makeup. They're blowing over these eggs to just clean them, to keep them, to preserve them, to preserve them. But as she's doing so, she basically starves to death. That's what she does. That's what the female octopus does. She spends her time in that cave. She starves to death, but she gives her attention, focus um, gloriously on these babies. babies. And, then, and, then, and then just at the time when they're about to be born, she takes one huge breath. And with that breath, she blows them out of the cave, out of the chamber. And that's her final breath. She dies. Now, what drama. <laughs> All under the surface, which none of us ever see, but God has ordained it that way. Now, I want to challenge, really, us as those who have been made in the image of God and say this, if, if the octopus can sacrifice for her children, to come to a place where those have been made in the image of God struggle to do that. I think our world is in a very tricky place. We have fallen very, very far. It does cost. But I think it's in the sacrifice that you see the love. Romans 5.8 says this, God has demonstrated his love once and for all in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ultimately, how do you know God loves you? It's because Christ died. Because some days you wake up feeling it, some days you wake up and you don't. How do you know he does? Because Christ died. You only see love in sacrifice. Because love is the impulse that gives. Okay, That's what it is, it's the impulse to give. And God has given his only son, it's a demonstration once and for all that he loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because Christ died for you. That's how you know. That is how you know. That's the only way you concretely know. A historical fact and the ultimate act of sacrifice. That's how you know. Christ has demonstrated that through his death on the cross. So there's, a, there's an example. But I'm not, I'm not just holding up saying, no, the women should make the sacrifices, not at all. A husband should live sacrificially with his wife. That's the idea. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. In the home, the husband should be demonstrating daily, constantly, this sacrificial attitude which inspires a woman to be able to do the same for the children. So it's not, this isn't some kind of thing where the guy gets it easy at all. We're called to sacrifice because we're called to love. And love is sacrifice. We're called to give. That's what we've signed up for. And we need to get our whole minds renewed that when you become a believer, a follower of Jesus, it's not just about what can I get, although blow me, you don't have to get a lot, don't you? Forgiveness, eternal life, new identity. But it's about also saying, Lord, I want to just, I want to I give myself to what you're doing, to your kingdom and to your purposes. This cuts to the heart of the lie that our lives are about what we can achieve for us, to make ourselves feel significant in some way. 
We are secure in the fact that we are God's and God loves us. We don't have to prove ourselves by achieving or attaining that. So there we have it. Only women can be feminine. Only women can make a home. Only women can be a good wife. And only a woman can be a mother. There are countless other things that women can do and that men can also do, as we looked at last week. But I would say this. Do not look down on those things that are uniquely yours as a woman. Embrace them with your whole heart and rejoice in those opportunities when they arise. Now, I'm going, to do the, I'm going to do something which I'm very happy doing, but sometimes people don't seem very happy with it, and that's this. I'm really happy to answer any questions. I'm comfortable on my feet, so it's fine, and I won't be defensive, and I won't put you down if you disagree with me. But I, I, if there is, some of you might just want to go and think about that, it, it's fine. But if there's any particular things that I may have missed, then please just ask the question, and I can clear it up as best I can. Sometimes in biblical times, a lot of the teaching was interactive, so was, you know, people could actually, so it's, it's cool, it's not like a wrong thing. Just out of interest, uh, I guess with, with the mother point of being at home, when you've yep. come home and everything, what do you think about if your situation works better for the man to be the one who is at home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the tricky thing with this is that lives and, and situations are so much more complex these days than perhaps they would have been. Can you question? The question is about what about if it seems actually to work better for the guy to be at home with the kids rather than the woman and I was just saying that I think life and the way we live life is much more complex um, these days than perhaps it would have been a few generations ago where things were done in a set way and I appreciate that. I think, what I, I think the point I would make is, is that I think I would be happy to lay down the principle of that a woman has a unique role in terms of, in terms of homemaking. Um, I think some, some, some couples do job shares and it seems to work well. I haven't got big issues with that. I think I have got, I have got big issues with... I think, I think, I think part, of, part of the reasons when men, part of the times when men aren't manly is that they haven't learned that they've got responsibility to provide. And I think that's something a guy should take on board. Responsibility to provide. I, I mean, that might sound old-fashioned, but I, I just think... It's part of being responsible and stepping up to the mark. And I think sometimes, you know, you get these marriages where you've got these women that are working really hard, these guys that are sitting around, I don't know, playing the guitar, and you think, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Grow up, you know, or on their PlayStation all day because they're just like, you think, oh, come on, get a grip, be a man. Yeah? And I think, uh, and so I just think there's a, you want to lay down the principles of, like, come on, take responsibility to provide and all the rest of it. But I think I do appreciate the complexities of modern day life and that sometimes it works best to, to share the thing out a bit. Um, but I think you, you make that decision in the context of understanding that the woman has a unique role in terms of homemaking. So I think that's what I would, that's what I would say. Rather than being very legislative and very prescriptive, I think you get hold of the principles and you say, how can we work this into our situation and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I think, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a good question. Sure. I mean, I think you, you... What about single fathers or single mothers? Listen, I think one mustn't preach out of... Um, You've got, you got, you got to preach. You've got to be able to preach into how God intended the best way. Okay? You then have to take your situation... So listen, I'm not, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I hadn't had the perfect upbringing. You know, my dad left when I was three... Mum and, uh, mum and stepdad uh, divorced when I was 12, and so I've kind of had the mum-dad thing, the mum-stepdad thing, the single mum thing from 12 onwards. So I've been around the block a bit, 
And I've got, I tell you, the admiration I have for single parents is absolutely massive. One day at home alone with the kids, and I'm like, Davina, come back. You know, she goes to a conference or something. I'm a mess. I'm just, you know, and it's just the reality. I have such massive respect, and yet I think you, you, we're looking to build something. We're in our earliest stages, and so I'm not looking to exalt the virtues of single parenthood because I think, I think if, you, if you speak honestly to single parents, generally speaking, they're in that position because something hasn't worked out. And they're doing their best and they do an amazing job, but often there's a sense of pain. Divorce, or they're widowed, or, you know, or a mistake, a one night stand, and you know what I mean? And they live in that sense of, ah, so do you know what I mean? You know, so I think, but we're looking to catch that in this city before it happens and say, now come on, you know, don't. I think, I think when people begin to esteem and say that's the best way single parents, because they want to make single parents feel better, I think you've lost the plot. You've just lost the plot because, and I understand the heart is something, but you think, no, you, that's not a, it's not a positive thing. And, and same, same sex parents, that whole thing, well, obviously, we look at that during the homosexuality thing. But I think the, ma- the dad, the mum have a unique contribution. If you're a single mum, I, I would say one of the things you should aim for, which I praise God I had a bit, was good male role models around. If you're a single dad, good female role models. Because there's, there's something that happens in terms of the nurturing, the passing on of masculinity, the passing on of femininity. It's a lot of the reason why a lot of the guys are confused about manhood is there's no guy who's taught me how to be a guy. And you don't learn it through a textbook, it's by just being around. You know? So I think my heart is very full of just compassion and yearnings and, and longings for restoration and that. So I, I'm, I hope I'm not being unrealistic about the situation, but I'm thinking, look, let's build well from the start as well. Is that okay? Good question. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think biblically, to get married without having kids was just, it was just, un, it was just like, I mean, unknown. It's not that it was ever addressed because of, that's why you get married. Companionship and multiplication. Do you see what I mean? So I think that mentality that we're in today of, shall we have kids, is just so foreign to, to biblical thinking that it's almost hard to even know where to begin. Um, so I think you have to kind of work out in sensitive ways. I think what I would tend to do is to sit down with every couple that were getting married or that talk, having this discussion and talk it through with them on an individual level because you don't know the reasons why people might not want kids. Sometimes they might just need some healing. You know, they just need God to just help. Other times it may be selfishness. It may be. And you need to just speak into it and say, come on, you know. Because I think we, we've, you've got to accept there are, there are different reasons, but you want to minister into it. I think it is definitely, you know, as much as can be. We live in a fallen world. Some, some couples find it hard to conceive and all these things. So I'm very aware of all of that, you know, totally in the pain that that causes. But I think you have to, I think you have to say biblically, when you look at it, God's plan for marriage is companionship and reproduction. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. The timing of children. That's an interesting one. When we got married, can you believe it? We just didn't have that conversation. So we had this moment. We'd been married about two weeks, and I'm like, right, let's get on with it. Let's get the kids going, you know. She's like, she's like I've just finished my training as a teacher. And uh, so what are you saying? You know, she's saying, well, you know, I want at least four years to teach. Four years. 
I was thinking, oh, any minute now, you know. So we had to work that one through. And I think for me, it was a lesson in respecting the fact that she'd trained for four years, you know, and wanted to actually teach. Um, so so that's, that's what we did. Um, I think it is complex. I think I would say this, and it's a practical thing. I think we tend to get married later, and then we tend to wait a while before we have kids. And then, and then what I would say is, is that you, really, you don't want to be, you don't, you don't really want to find yourself in a position of sitting in a rocking chair with a backache when your two-year-old wants to wrestle. Yeah? Do you understand what I'm saying there? You don't want to find that by the time you had your kids, you, you, you've got nothing left in you. Yeah, you want, you want to retire. You know, you want to have better get, get up and go in you. And I just think there is just some practical wisdom there. Practical wisdom number one, get married younger. Just get on with it. Stop <laughs> faffing. <laughs> Figure it out in the safety of the relationship. Figure it out. Figure it out. Have a few rows. Kick each other out of the car. Have a few barnies and work it out. Hold on, mate. I haven't finished this one yet. Then, uh, so I think that makes it easier. Um, and then I think uh, in terms of waiting, yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you just have to work it out. But I, I think, I would just say, kids are tiring. Yeah. And if you want to have a few, they are tired. I mean, well, no, I tend to do the bathing. That's kind of one of the things I do most of the time. <sighs> Three kids in a bath at the same time, man. It's mental. And uh, you just think, don't leave it till you're too old. That's all I'd say. Now, obviously, we're not always in charge of these things. Yeah, again, I just want to be sensitive. I know some people longing for babies and just can't have them. Please, do you know what I mean? Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But what all I'm saying is this, just being aware of the fact that it's, you know, yeah. Yes, me. Uh, I have a question about marriage. Yes. Fantastic. I preached on that last week. Fantastic. Yeah, I preached on that last week. Just, we don't speak enough about the glorious call into singleness where you can devote yourself in, a, in, a, in, in beautiful simplicity to just serving Jesus wholeheartedly. It's a wonderful thing. The Bible extols it greatly. Absolutely. But all I'm saying, go on, back. I would say that um, as long as it's in the context of devoting yourself first and foremost to God, if that's what God is, if that's your calling, fine. But if that is your devotion, then I think biblically that would come under the category of idolatry, because it's it's something that you're saying this is my number one thing, and it's created. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if that's. If you've got peace about that and you feel that's, part, that's where God's taken you, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if that's not the case, and there's someone, you like them, they like you, it works, get on with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, is that such a weird thing? I don't know. I mean, because I think, I think we're, we're human, right? So you're always going to have issues. You're always going to have issues. Where you, if we and Davina waited till, like we never, we never disagreed or anything, we wouldn't be married yet. Well, we were very quick, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend everyone do it as quick as we did, all right? No, I wouldn't. I'm not just preaching, because I did it that way. No, I'm not saying it. But I think the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn, burn with passion. And sometimes we wonder why, we, we wonder why we're burning up with sexual, with sexual passion. Um, it's because we're, we're just dragging the thing out so long. We're having an intimate relationship with someone, but there's no uh, appropriate way of expressing, sec, expressing ourselves sexually, because we're not married. And you wonder why you're just like... You know what I mean? In trouble. <laughs> Bible says. 
expect to marry them to burn. So, you know, it's just biblical. No, it's, no, 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 no. I think you don't, you don't just get married because you're sexually frustrated. I mean, that would be crazy. There has to be some sense of meaningful connection. I know what you're saying. I mean, but there's a, there's a practicalness about the Bible. There's a practicality. It's not, sometimes we just go more spiritual than the Bible and we wonder why we get in trouble. Paul says, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Yeah? So it's better. You're human. We're human. God is, you know, it's fine. It's all right. Anything else? Yep, York, yes. Yeah. Yes. If one because per- you're career people, one person's in York, one person's in London, and so you only see each other at the weekends, what should you do? One of you should leave your job. Absolutely. You're called to be one flesh. How, on a, how can you work out being one flesh when you're, when you're away from each other the majority of the time? You've just got to sacrifice the career. Or, no, when I went, once you're married. Oh, it'd be a good idea to, yeah, if you can transfer it before that. So, yeah, great. But, you know, I mean, I think otherwise, otherwise you don't get married to that person. If it's the career that God's called you to, that's the thing, then you don't marry that person. I mean, uh, one flesh. Naomi. The definition of marriage is a man and a woman joined together in an exclusive lifelong relationship. Yeah? Man and woman, it's exclusive and it's lifelong. This is just the Bible. I mean, this, this. If that's the definition, uh, does there have to be a marriage sharing? Ah, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> you have to honour the laws of the land. You have to honour the laws of the land. So if you're in England, then you need to do, do, get married in a legal way. If you're in a country where you don't know, but make it public, because I think there's something public about. You know, it's not just, if you, if you desert on a desert island, then it's fine. You know, all the questions, all the, you know, but there's certain principles that are in place. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, okay, I think, I, I, I'm not really sure where this is going, sorry. Okay, well, we won't answer that then. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. Anything else? Or we're going to gather back into praise and worship? Okay. Now, listen. I'm going to ask you now to put the lid on that so we can focus on the Lord. That's not always easy. I understand that. Okay? Take the lid off afterwards and come and choke me. That's fine. That's all right. Okay? We'll talk it through. It's fine. But let's honour the Lord. Whatever happens, whether you're on the same page as me or not, okay, he deserves worship, Yeah? So let's gather back in, praise and worship him.